Hey, it's Jeff, and I'm happy to announce that Skylar and I will be collaborating on a series of retreats in 2024 at Commune Topanga. The first one is happening April 5th through 7th. Now, these weekends are really designed to foster greater balance in your life. Now, well-being, as I've discovered in all of its expressions, springs forth from balance. We seek to balance our relationships, balance our budgets, and of course, balance our blood sugar levels. So if health emerges from balance, well, illness stems from imbalances, and we see evidence of imbalances all around us, from imbalanced immune systems and hormones to emotional disequilibrium. So if you break down the root cause of virtually all of our modern imbalances, you will find that they come from our convenience culture, sedentary, indoor, temperature-controlled lives filled with a surfeit of shelf-stable refined calories and a dearth of in-real-life connections. Well, these retreats upend convenience culture. They're all about realigning our biology to foster balance, homeostasis. So this will include movement like yoga and hiking sessions, focusing the mind through meditation and breath work, optional ice plunges and saunas, and enjoying delicious farm-sourced meals around big communal tables. I'll also be reading some of my favorite commusings as we snuggle around the fire at night. When's the last time you've been read a story? So I hope you can join us at our Balance Weekend Retreat. The first one is happening April 5th through 7th at Commune Topanga with support from our dear friends at Bevo Barefoot. So just go to onecommune.com retreat for more info. And I'll see you in the Santa Monica Mountains. Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. Today on the show, I welcome Dr. Lat Mansour. Lat holds a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics from Oxford. He also holds an MA from Columbia University and a BS in biotechnology from the University of Nottingham. He is currently the research lead at HVMN Health via Modern Nutrition, where he oversees the scientific development and clinical applications for all of HVMN's products, including Keto IQ, an exogenous ketone supplement. In our conversation, we go deep into metabolism. We discuss the primary substrates that the body uses for fuel. We explore the principal hormones related to metabolism. We discuss the relationship between Alzheimer's and insulin resistance. We get into the ketogenic diet and the processes involved in the endogenous production of ketones. We discuss why ketones are the body's preferred fuel. And we talk about supplementing with exogenous ketones and their utility for performance and for learning. This was a fascinating conversation full of both mechanism and protocol. So before we dive into it, I want to let you know about some of our programs over on the Commune course platform. If you're interested in courses on functional medicine and metabolism, nutrition, gut health, Ayurveda, and hormone balancing, well, you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to Commune's entire course library, including more than 120 courses on spiritual and physical health. Just go to onecommune.com trial. 
And please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcatcher. Okay, without further delay, I present to you Dr. Lat Mansour. Lat Mansour, such a treat to be with you. Welcome to the Commune Podcast. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, I've had uh, the opportunity to listen to it quite a bit over the last couple of months and you do a phenomenal job. So well done. Thank you so much. I actually just revived the HVMN podcast since last October. So I wouldn't say I'm like a veteran like yourself, like I'm still learning so much. And in fact, thanks to your event at Commune that I got to meet some of my guests that have been on like Dr. Terry Walsh, I met at your your event. Oh, nice. I was on Max Lugavier's podcast that was also from your event. Um, I am yet to schedule a podcast with Casey, but I think it's now with Laurel there. Um, science um officer science director um so so thank you you know and now i get the opportunity to be on your podcast and learn from you as well so pleasure is all mine so i'm excited to get into all things metabolism uh with you and this is obviously such a, a relevant topic um given that some 90 percent of americans are metabolically dysfunctional um so perhaps just to lay some foundational groundwork for the audience, I think it would be helpful to have a good working uh, definition and understanding of metabolism. So could you provide a good um, definition of metabolism to start? So metabolism, all 8 billion of us, do, we do metabolism at all times, right? So we need metabolism to survive. We need metabolism to function. We need metabolism to do everything. And metabolism is broken down into anabolism and catabolism. Anabolism is building and storage, and catabolism is breaking down and utilizing what we have in our storage. And we are constantly in a state of flux between one and two, between both of them. And we switch one up and we switch the other one down depending on what state we are in. If we are fed, we want to be in anabolism, an anabolic state so that we restore the food that we eat. If we are fasting or if we're working out, we want to be in catabolism because we are breaking down the materials that we've stored and we've eaten to produce energy and improve performance. So that's metabolism in general, right? It's being able to use the building blocks or substrates that we consume in order to produce energy and we need energy to survive. Metabol metabolically healthy and metabolically unhealthy, those terms, the way I see it is essentially how well you utilize different substrates at the time that it needs to be used optimally. So for example, if you're doing very high intensive exercise, glucose, is more beneficial because it creates energy almost independent of oxygen in the first part of glucose metabolism called glycolysis. So it's oxygen independent ATP generation. So ATP is the energy currency in the cell. When you go on endurance race or long distance races, you want to be able to metabolize your fats 
because your fat contains way more energy and we store up to 20 to 40,000 calories worth of energy in the form of fat in our bodies versus 2,000, around 2,000 in glucose. So if we are going to work out for a long time, we want to be able to tap into that storage. So metabolically healthy people will be able to switch between substrates when they need to. So that's the term metabolically flexible mm. or metabolic flexibility. That's where it comes in. You're flexible in terms of switching between substrates. So I hope, hope that uh, mm, clear things that's up. That's a fantastic definition. Uh, I've heard metabolically flexible uh, used in the context of a, a metaphor that you, you become like a Prius, right? So you can um, kind of shift between the use of electricity or petrol for fuel. Um, and there's an analogy there with the human body that you become uh, very adept at switching between essentially the, the using glucose or, or using fat. Now, those are the primary foundational substrates for fuel, um, fat and glucose. Is, is one of them more, um, I guess, calorie dense or energy dense than the other? That would be fat. So fat contains nine calories per gram versus glucose is four calories per gram. Same with uh, protein that is four calories per gram. So obviously I didn't say, I didn't talk about protein because we don't want to break down protein uh, because proteins are essentially very, very valuable to us um, as it makes up not just, you know, when people think about protein, they think about muscles, not just muscles yeah, um, that are made out of protein. But if you, if you really learn the biochemistry on, on cell biology and physiology, all the different enzymes, hormones, and everything are essentially made out of proteins, right? So there are proteins, that amino acids, there are different, different sequences and different structures being bound together to create this wonderful biochemistry of life. And we don't want to break down that. So we want to be able to, that's why we want to be able to be very flexible in order to tap into our fats or glucose, because those substrates were primarily um, made to, to be either stored or broken down for energy. And then there is now ketones, uh, which is six calories per gram, uh, six to seven. So that's, that's the, um, another form of energy, if you would, that yeah. we have never in human history been able to consume directly. We have to make our own ketones. Right. So we can go into that um, in a bit. If you, you know, I'll, I'll let you lead the conversation on what you want the audience to understand first. Yeah, well, this is when, when two podcast hosts come head to head. Who leads, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's your it's your podcast. I, I always enjoy. Actually, you know what? I do enjoy being on both sides. Like I sometimes I'm, I enjoy just asking the questions. Sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna sit at the back seat and let them explore my brain. Yeah. And sometimes it's surprising. I find myself being surprised by myself because these people are able to draw answers that I never knew would come up from me. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I love the way that you describe um, the sensitive balance between uh, anabolic processes and catabolic processes. And essentially, you know, healthy systems work um, in this kind of tenuous homeostasis, right? So we, we, we need both. Um, and then you pointed to proteins. So, you know, we often think of proteins or the 
building blocks of proteins, amino acids going to muscular creation. But as you pointed out, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of proteins in the body, transport molecules, enzymes, et cetera, including hormones. So I want to shift just the conversation for a second to talk about these two peptide hormones that are sort of the yang yin of metabolism, and that is insulin and glucagon. Uh, glucagon doesn't get nearly as much PR as insulin, but could you talk a little bit about the role of those countervailing hormones uh, within the process of metabolism and then potentially touch on insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance? Because this seems to be at the upstream from a lot of these dysfunctional uh, metabolic um, syndromes, I suppose. Sure. So insulin is, you know, as you said, you know, glucagon did, doesn't get a lot of PR around this. So let's start with insulin, which most people have heard of. And insulin essentially gets secreted by the pancreas, pancreatic beta cells, when we have high blood sugar. What it does is essentially send signals to the different cells to upregulate glucose transporters. And these transporters will then translocate up into the cell membrane so they can start pulling in the glucose from the blood and use it either for storage or for metabolism or breaking down and, and develop energy. So insulin, if you think about it, it's, it's more of an anabolic um, hormone. And then glucagon, it's more of the opposite. And what happens in insulin resistance is essentially the responsiveness and sensitivity of those cells being able to translocate those receptors up into the membrane is being dysfunctional. Mm. So you're sending signal, hey, it's like, think about you telling, um, you're moving house, right? You're telling the, the movers to pack things up and put it in the truck and let's move on. Usually, you know, they'll just do that. But this time, the truck drivers, are, you're like yelling at them. It's like, hey, you know, I'm like, I have full of stuff in my house. Let's pack it up and let's put it in the truck. And they just won't listen. They just won't do it. So you end up with a cluster of, of stuff that you've packed and, you have, and it has nowhere to go. So essentially like that. So you have high blood sugar in your blood, uh, high blood sugar in your blood. And you keep telling yourself, hey, you know, bring it in so that you can lower your blood glucose and you can use it for storage. And the cells are like, no, I am... I'm full, I, I, I can't take in anymore, or I'm dysfunctional, I can't take in anymore, so you're on your own. So that's where insulin resistance becomes dangerous because a constant elevation of blood glucose, that's where all the complication comes in mm -hmm. because that exposure to high blood glucose increases damage to your nerve cells, nervous system, increases damage to your kidney, increases damage to a lot of um, places, uh, in, in increases inflammation that could essentially lead to chronic diseases, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. And, you know, now they're trying, they're, they're trying to figure out the mechanism of action, how that leads to Alzheimer's mm -hmm. as they call type three diabetes. So then comes the question, what causes insulin resistance? This is, you know, always the forever debate. And yeah. <laughs> I've had 
amazing guest on on the HVM podcast podcast that I interviewed. Um, Dr. Ben Bickman is yeah, one of them. I, in Expert. fact, I just want to interrupt you there. I just listened to that episode and I vehemently encourage everyone to go and look up that episode on your podcast because that that conversation between you and Ben uh you know i i know a little bit about this topic already but i had about 25 light bulbs go off and i hope we can cover some of uh, of that you know as we get into it but sorry to interrupt you please go on no absolutely thank you so much for the shout out as well and it was so um gratifying to sit with ben and me being a scientist who did my phd in also uh, diabetes and cardiovascular disease to talk about his research and what is the current literature around insulin resistance. And I didn't even know before that, you know, um, that he did his research also in Singapore in the specific demographic group, which is very relevant to me, you know, yeah. being my, my genetic makeup coming from Malaysia, half of, uh, you know, my, my mom is Chinese, my dad's Malay. So that is very relevant because my mom's side of the family has really high prevalence of diabetes. So we got into such deep conversation. So when it comes to insulin resistance, there is a lot of theories and a lot of evidence as well that points towards it's the glucose, it's the high consumption of glucose. Mm. But then I also interviewed these two authors of Mastering Diabetes yeah. book, um, and they believe it's the fats. And they used high glucose, low fat diet to combat diabetes. And they have seen some good results. So ultimately, I think what it is, is the combination of all is, is there's no point to demonize one particular substrate versus the other. It's a combination of your lifestyle versus what you eat as a whole picture. If you have high processed sugar, in excess, as well as in presence of high seed oil, which drives inflammation. And you add on top of that high fat content, which makes your calories intake go above and beyond, then you that is the recipe of the, yeah. for disaster. And that could be the cause of insulin resistance rather than one substrate causing it. Hey, it's Jeff. And as an athlete, I've been told my entire life to make sure that I get enough electrolytes. But it's only recently that I have truly understood what electrolytes are and the many essential physiological functions that they fulfill. Okay, so you ready for Electrolytes 101? Here we go. When essential minerals like sodium, potassium, chloride, and magnesium dissolve in a fluid, they form electrolytes, positive or negative ions needed to maintain vital bodily functions. For example, sodium ions are used by the brain to send electrical signals, hello electrolytes, through your neurons in order to communicate with other neurons and the cells throughout your body. So electrolytes are key for brain health. Sodium also retains water and maintains proper hydration levels and fluid balance in your cells through a process called osmosis. Now, calcium and potassium are needed for muscle contraction. They facilitate muscle fibers to slide together and move over each other 
as the muscle shortens and contracts. And magnesium is also required in this process so that the muscle fibers can relax after contraction. And magnesium is a total other beast. It plays a role in protein synthesis, sleep, and blood sugar balance, and hundreds of other functions. Now it's for all these reasons and more that I add Element to my water. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. And guess what? No sugar. Element is sweetened with stevia, a plant-based sugar substitute that won't spike glucose levels. A 20-ounce serving of many popular sports drinks that I'm sure you know can contain 36 grams of sugar. It's absurd that those products are marketed as healthy when they contain almost as much sugar as a soda. Many listeners know that I still play competitive tennis. Now, before I started using Element, I was prone to fatigue and cramping during long matches due to the loss of sodium. No longer. I'm right there moving like a panther at the end of a grueling three-set match. So right now, Element is offering Commune listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash commune. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T, drinkelement.com slash commune. Element offers no questions around refunds, so try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a friend and they will give you your money back. No questions asked. You've got nothing to lose. So go to drinkelement.com slash commune. Clearly, we've seen a massive and arguably detrimental increase in the consumption of carbohydrates, so uh, sugar, refined grains, ultra-processed foods, etc. But it does seem to be that that uh, caustic combination of high um, glucose in your blood that's triggering high insulin, so anabolic, in conjunction with excess calories, that there's something there that's that's causing some major problems. And in that conversation with Ben, that was interesting because, you know, as you become more insulin resistant, your the sugar, the glucose in your bloodstream has got to go somewhere, right? So it it gets stored as as glycogen. Some of it gets glycated, becomes these advanced glycation end products and glycoproteins, etc. But then you know a lot of it is stored. At, um, as triglycerides and fat cells. And, you know, you and Ben talk at great length about how as fat cells get bigger um, through hypertrophy, it's all the adipokines and, and, and inflammatory cytokines that are secreted from those fat cells that then can uh, exacerbate insulin resistance. Can you un- unpack that a tiny bit? 
Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what you just said, right? So a lot of people, they try to observe where there is high prevalence of heart attacks, high prevalence of diabetes, and then they look at their blood biomarkers. And then they see either high sugar or high fat or high adipokines, and then they straight away point towards that substrate. And that's a problem because just because these different substrates were present in these high prevalence disease cases doesn't mean that they cause it, right? So another example I'll give you, Bay Area, you know, famous for stabbings, right? There's a lot of stabbings around here. Every time there is a stabbing, you see a, a ambulance there. Now, would you start thinking the ambulance caused the stabbing? Because every time there is stabbing, there is an ambulance, right? Yeah. So, but we automatically know that they are there to help and not the one that caused it. So it's the same thing, right? So if there is a clot in your blood, you know, that people think cholesterol is bad, there is high cholesterol. But think about it, is the cholesterol there to cause it or is the cholesterol trying to patch the insult to the blood vessel damage that has been done? So a lot of people argue that now. And a lot of people, and as we advance in technology and being able to detect what these different molecules are doing, that's where we can find out what is the cause and what is the correlation and what is the mechanism that is coming in to try and fix it. So as Ben said, you know, Ben, ben was explaining with his research that some people tend to put on fat via hypertrophy and some people tend to put on fat via hyperplasia. So hypertrophy is the, the enlargement of the cell itself. And hyperplasia is divide, division of the cells and, and you just create more fat cells. And what he says is that in hypertrophy, um, these cells are getting bigger and bigger and start leaking these adipokines and increasing inflammation. And, and mind you, all of this tracks back to what we were talking earlier about the access of calories and the presence of high sugar and high fat and processed sugar and also other stuff that may disrupt your inflammatory system like seed oils and disrupt your microbiome and all of that. And that leads to the cells getting packed with high energy, right? High storage of fats. Not only it starts leaking out adipokines, but if you think about it, what is a reactive oxygen species? Reactive oxygen species is essentially, so when we talk about free radicals, that's part of reactive oxygen species. It is a byproduct of, of respiration. In your mitochondria, when we create energy, a mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. So if you think about the cell creating energy, the mitochondria is part of the cell that creates all the energy for you. And that's where it metabolizes all these substrates for you. Glucose, fatty acid, all the same. It has that power, right? Whenever they metabolize a substrate, they will produce some reactive oxygen species. Nonetheless, you know, it will produce it. Um, then people are like, well, we don't want that. We don't want, you know, uh, oxidative damage. We don't want free radicals to damage ourselves. But some form of free radical is actually needed for the mitochondria to adapt. It's called mitohomesis and adapt and create antioxidant because we create our own antioxidants such as melatonin and glutathione. But what happens in dysfunctional individuals is that this ROS production is in excess, right? You're producing too much. And if you 
let's say just hypothetically, if you metabolize one gram of fat, you produce like, I don't know, the, just an arbitrary number, like 0.0, say 1% of that is, is ROS. Um, you know, you produce that, that amount. If you metabolize more fats, then you produce more ROS. So think about these hypertrophy, hypertrophic cells mm. that has huge amount of um, fats. You are increasing metabolism, right? You, you, are, you can tell that these people have very high metabolism, but they're like, well, why, why aren't they skinny? Because they are trying to keep up with the input, but right. at the same time, they are trying to metabolize it. Their body will always prioritize survivability, which means they are going to turn up the metabolism of these fat cells. Mm -hmm. And when you turn up metabolism of these fat storage, you're also turning up ROS production. Mm -hmm. And when you turn up ROS production, you are sending signals to the cells either for cell death or sending signal to stop taking in uh, substrates, i.e. insulin resistance, or increase inflammatory biomarkers, which is a signal to say to your body that, hey, this is a red flag, we need help here. And, you know, your immune system go haywire. Yeah, so interesting. And uh, I think they also become hypoxic, right? Yeah. Uh, and that So hypoxic, low oxygen environment. Right. So that, that can have its own downstream impacts. Um, you know, it's so interesting, because obviously, when we talk about um, you know, sh shedding adipose tissue, we've seen a couple of different pathways to that work. I mean, you know, there's a plant-based diet, which is inherently low caloric. So we've seen that function. Uh, and then obviously there's the ketogenic diet, uh, which is very, very low carb. So very, very low insulin. And, and, you know, obviously we, we've seen that work also. So it, it does suggest that it is, that there is, it's a combination of these things. Um, so we talked a little bit about insulin uh, and its relationship to growth and its relationship to growth hormone, et cetera. Um, and insulin, of course, is a response, the pancreas's response to the consumption of carbohydrates and refined sugars and, and starches, et cetera, as we discussed. Talk a little bit then about glucagon. So and what are the processes um, in the body that glucagon triggers? Um, because in very, in many ways, it's very much the opposite uh, of insulin. In low glucose states, your pancreas is going to produce glucagon. So talk a little bit about that. So remember when I talked about earlier on anabolism and catabolism? So one of the, the mechanisms that, that triggers anabolism is you know, insulin, right? Insulin draws in the um, the substrates and then you store it. So the opposite is catabolism, so glucagon. So glucagon senses that you are fasting for a long time, you know, your blood sugar is low. But if you think about it, even people who are fasting and people who are on ketogenic diet, they don't eat any carbs. And when you're fasting, you don't eat anything. But if you measure your blood glucose, you will still have a baseline blood glucose. Mm -hmm. Now, why is that? It's because glucagon and the other enzymes in your body is creating sugar from your storage, either from your glycogen storage or from gluconeogenesis from other substrates, mm -hmm. right? From, you know, fats or proteins or uh, glutamate and all of that. So 
that is the role of the counterbalance. Like you said, it's a beautiful, you know, homeostasis equilibrium that our body is constantly striving for. And most of the time when we change certain things, we need to give the, the body time and also um, make the body recognize that that is the new homeostasis or no homeostatic um, form. Um, and, and yeah, that's where, where it balances each other mm -hmm. up. Yeah. So in in a low glucose state, um, your body can obviously release some glucose as, as stored glycogen. You mentioned gluconeogenesis or the creation of, of new glucose uh, in the liver. But there's also this process called lipolysis, I believe. And then can you talk a little bit about what that process looks like and, and how that creates um, available fuel for the body. Sure. So lipolysis. So lipo, it, it um, associates with lipids, so fats. Lysis, I believe, is breaking down. So it's essentially mobilizing your fatty acids. Fatty acids are, you know, it can be circulated in your blood, uh, but mostly our biggest fat storage in our body is adipose tissue. And that's the, the fat layer underneath your, your skin mainly and also around your organs. When you need, when your body needs energy, um, lipolysis first needs to occur on these sites because these are already stored in, you know, triglycerides form. So it needs to be broken down in glycerol and fatty acid. So fatty acid can be transported into your bloodstream and then get taken up by different organs such as your heart your muscles and all of that to then create energy. So for example, a lot of people don't know that at rest, like you and me just talking right now, our hearts get 70 to 75% of the of its energy from fat, from fatty acids mm. at, at rest. So unless we put it, we put ourselves in an hypoxic environment where it's low oxygen or we are exercising very intensively, our heart will remain to prefer fats. And then as the requirement changes, as the environment changes and the circumstances changes, our heart will then switch over to glucose when it needs to. And that's the metabolic flexibility part that I was talking about. And that was my research in my PhD, looking at how a diabetic heart switches or unable or able to switch between fats and glucose when I put them in hypoxic environment. Hmm. Interesting. So through this process of lipolysis, you're breaking down triglycerides into free fatty acids and glycerol. How do those free fatty acids then become ketones or what is the relationship there? So what happens is that these fatty acids, they are still very long chain molecules. So they are very big molecules. So as human beings, we evolved to a point, actually not just as humans, a lot of um, uh, organisms actually evolved to be able to break down fats and create ketones in your liver. And that's called ketogenesis. So why do we even need ketones and what are ketones, right? First of all, I'll tell you the why first. As I said, the fatty acid um, molecules are huge. Therefore, it cannot bypass the blood-brain barrier. Mm. And when your brain, I mean, our brain uses 25% of our daily calorie energy, even though it, it's only 2% of, of the weight right. of our body weight. It's very greedy. That's, it's very <laughs> greedy. It's very energy intensive. 
So when it's low on sugar, it's at, at risk of being damaged because, you know, if you think about a factory, you're producing goods, but you're not giving any inputs. The machinery is still running. You are using all the, you know, electricity, you're using the manpower, you're giving it money, but nothing's going in, nothing's coming out. So that creates an environment where you are susceptible to oxidative damage and all of that. So when you're low on sugar, either when you're fasting or on ketogenic diet, the, the brain needs to use some other substrates and it cannot use fatty acids because it cannot bypass the blood-brain barrier. Mm. In fact, on site, some studies show that the brain itself can create a small amount of ketones from the fat stores in the brain to, to produce energy. But the whole point of creating ketones, ketones has four carbons, whereas normal like you know fatty acids, they probably have much longer, like 16, 18, 20 carbons. And that ketone molecule is small enough to, is small enough to bypass the blood-brain barrier and um, arrive at the brain site as a site of, of respiration and create energy. And the three main ketone bodies that our body produces are acetoacetate, acetoacetate, acetone, and beta-hydroxybutyrate. Right. They're all interchangeable. So acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, they are always in equilibrium. And then from acetoacetate can produce acetone, which gets released in your breath. Beta-hydroxybutyrate is the main ketone body that is being circulated around the body because it is uh, much more stable. And it is also the form of ketone body that is metabolized for energy. So whenever you hear beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB, um, that is a ketone body that um, we produce um, or we can use. And in fact, the brain and the heart does prefer um, ketones whenever they're available. Hey, it's Jeff. Now, I always heard vitamin supplements are a waste of money as they just pass through your system. Expensive pee, right? Well, now I understand why and the reasons it's so hard to absorb large doses of certain nutrients through the pills, powders, and gummies at the store. Now, when you take these supplements or even consume foods, your digestive system must extract vitamins and minerals and depending on the nutrient, convert them to a form your body can use. Now, some nutrients depend on proteins to transport them into the bloodstream and to the cells for absorption. Now, often these supplements contain such large quantities that your body doesn't have enough resources like transporter proteins to absorb the nutrients. Since your body can't store water-soluble vitamins like C and the B family, as well as minerals like magnesium, zinc, and selenium, they wind up excreted and never reaching the cells where they are needed to support your immune system, metabolism, nervous system, and so much more. Now, I didn't know all of this when I started taking Livon Labs Lipospheric Vitamin C. I just know that if Skylar was giving them to me, they must be good. Well, it turns out that Livon Labs understands the difficulty of high-dose nutrient absorption, and they became the first dietary supplement company to use liposomal encapsulation technology to enhance nutrient absorption. 
A liposomes are double-layered spheres that Live On Labs uses to surround, protect, and transport water-soluble vitamins and minerals into the bloodstream and to the cells for absorption. A liposomes are made of essential phospholipids, the same material that makes up your cells, so they easily pass into the cells and deliver the nutrients, staying behind to fortify the cell membrane. Now, the Live On Labs liposome encapsulated supplement line includes vitamin C, a B vitamin complex that contains pre-methylated folate, a magnesium specifically formulated for the brain, and the master antioxidant glutathione. And guess what? Only the ingredients necessary for maximum absorption. That means no sugar and no fillers, no colors, no artificial flavors. If you don't want to know what that tastes like, and trust me, you probably don't, make sure to follow the instructions on the package. Uh, right now, Live On Labs is offering Commune listeners free sample two-packs of all their liposome encapsulated supplements with any purchase. This is a great way to try all six of their powerful supplements and get accustomed to their weird, unique, goo-like consistency. Just get yours at liveonlabs.com commune. This offer is only available through my link. You must go to liveonlabs.com slash commune. Live on Labs has a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. So you have nothing to lose. Go to liveonlabs.com slash commune. I think this gives people really great basic understanding around how certain protocols like the ketogenic diet and fasting then can lead to the endogenous in your own body creation uh, of ketones as um, as a source of fuel. So, you, you know, you mentioned there that ketones are the preferred energy source of the brain. Um, yes, they can cross the blood-brain barrier. That's good news. But why are they the preferred source of energy there? So in 1995, a paper published, um, I believe it was in Heart, and showing how ketones are more efficient per oxygen used in respiration compared to glucose. Mm. So just showing that it is a more efficient fuel. And one might ask, like, then why doesn't our body like create ketones all the time? It's because of the high sugar consumption that we are having these days mm. that you upregulate insulin. So insulin is one of the key hormones that shuts down ketogenesis because insulin essentially is present when we are in abundance of energy storage, abundance of, of substrates, so that it's telling your body to start storing in blood glucose because you know, you've eaten a lot and therefore you're not in a state where you can create ketones from fats. So that's why we are not having a lot of people these days do not have ketones in their system. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, we often have, you know, f- um, fed and famine, you know, uh, uh, harvest seasons and famine seasons and people are, uh, you know, fasting most of the time or people go, even if we go all the way back to prehistoric, you know, human beings, when they go out hunting, first of all, they don't have access to that much um grains and and carbs and second of all they will go out and hunt when they don't have food because they don't have storage right so um they'll eat and then they'll 
be in a fasted state where they rely on ketones. And that's where they, you know, when people have ketones, they can, they will tell you that they feel sharper, they feel more connected, their focus, their mental clarity is being enhanced. Um, it's funny because one of my friends, I, I gave ketone IQ to one of my friends um, to, to experiment because he does this um, dance revolution like workout where you have a whole <laughs> pad and, and you have to really like quickly step on those like light up um, panels. Yeah. And the way he described it was really funny because he was like, this is like a hack, like a cheat code because he knew he screw up the 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 sequence but for some reason his brain worked fast enough that he can still correct it whereas <laughs> normally he wouldn't be able to yeah so so people maybe you know that's why we evolved to be able to produce ketones so that when we are in this faucet state and we need to go out and hunt hmm. we need that sharpness we need that burst of energy we need that sort of alertness that increases our chance of getting a prey. And this is what we saw in our $6 million contract with the Department of Defense, that when when these military personnel, when operators are on ketones, even in hypoxia, where there is a drop in in cognitive performance or drop in, in brain performance, because of the low oxygen with ketones, the drop actually gets mitigated and they saw an improvement in reaction time and vigilance. So fascinating. So you might argue that if we went back 11,000, 12,000 years, you know, pre-agricultural revolution, um, well, dance revolution wasn't around at that juncture, but, exactly. <laughs> but, but there were some other utility um, to ketones, you know, uh, on the Serengeti, just in terms of being able to, you know, react and deploy energy quickly. Um, would you argue or theorize, I suppose, that, you know, going back 11,000 years ago, the relationship or the proportion between ketones um, and let's say glucose in the bloodstream was a little bit more on even footing in comparison to, you know, what we're looking at today? I think it's definitely very, very probable mm-hmm. that our reliance on ketones then was way higher than yeah it is now um it's also the constant access to um foods that we you know keep snacking and we eat in between meals and that doesn't do well for the anabolic and catabolic state right because you're sending signal to your brain to like yeah i mean if you if you talk about the that tenuous balance between anabolic and catabolic states if you move upstream from that it's really related to another yang yin relationship, which is that of abundance and scarcity, right? So yeah. um, in scarcity, you're going to be more catabolic. In, in With abundance, you're going to be more anabolic and, you know, you're going to hopefully store fat for, you know, a rainy day. Um, I love that you brought in this, this concept, Jeff, because yeah. um, I think as I grow older, um, as I see more, you know, life experience, I've learned to appreciate and value the yin and yang i appreciate the abundance as much as i appreciate the um the scarcity of things um i appreciate the happiness as much as i appreciate the sadness of life because then it allows me to to really see things in perspective and see life as is 
Yeah, well, you wouldn't know one without the other. This is the concept of the unity of opposites, right? I mean, metabolism requires a relationship, as you so eloquently laid out at the beginning of our conversation, between catabolic states and anabolic states. You know, we wouldn't know happiness without sadness or hot without experiencing cold. And so when we start to eliminate scarcity, it doesn't feel like abundance anymore because it just, you know, feels like the default mode. And, uh, and then, you know, you know, we see the detrimental impacts of that, you know. So, uh, you know, when I, I have come to believe that, that healthy systems are all about balance, uh, and we see that in nature everywhere that we look. I mean, you sit at, on the seashore. If you sit there long enough, you're going to see a high tide and a low tide. And everything that exists and, and arises as phenomenon within nature, you know, has is made of waves. You know, hydraulic waves or electricity is the repulsion and attraction of positive and negatively charged particles. Or uh, you know, so everywhere you look, there are these relationships that maintain this kind of unsteady, uh, unstable stability. And I, I think, you know, nature... Always in the flux. Yeah, always in the flux, right? I thought it's a vibratory dance, as as, as uh, Einstein told us. So let me get into... Um, well, I want to ask you one more question about ketones because I've heard that ketones, when used in cellular respiration, also reduce the production of ROS, of... of of reactive oxygen species and free radicals. Can you comment on that? So this is a, a very interesting topic because we know that when ketones are being elevated, either in ketogenic diet or via exogenous ketones, meaning external sources where you directly drink a ketone, it does have anti-inflammatory properties. Mm -hmm. So it reduces inflammation. So in a sense that you can say that it may reduce ROS production. Now, these may be in individuals with high ROS production or have a dysfunctional metabolism already. But in some healthy individuals, they saw an increase in uncoupling in mitochondria when they have ketones, mm -hmm. right? And when you have uncoupling, you have an increased production of ROS. So what's which is true, right? It's like, does it increase it or does it reduce it? The way I see it... Um, Ketone definitely has an anti-inflammatory um, property, especially with regards to NLRP3, which is an inflammasome, which plays a huge role in neurodegenerative diseases and mental health. And that has shown to improve when people or animals have been put on ketogenic diet or inject um, uh, direct BHB into the brain. And how I see ketone is more of an adaptive fuel because I've seen many studies with opposing results here. So, for example, mTOR, right? In longevity study, they saw you know calorie restriction increasing in ketones lowers mTOR and it increases longevity. But then when you pair um, ketones with workout and proteins and carbs after workout as a post-exercise nutritional strategy, they saw a leucine-mediated mTOR activation that helps with recovery. Mm. So it does both at the same time, but it, it adapts to the environment and the stimulus that you provide it. Another example is uh, inflammatory, right? 
long term, like people with neurodegenerative diseases saw a decrease in inflammatory biomarkers. But then when they did a in vitro in a test tube, they put ketones in it and they put um, uh, bacteria toxin, they saw an increase in inflammation in the in the cell culture when there is ketone present. But that's what we want. When there is an invasion in our body, we want our inflammatory biomarkers to flare up. We want our inflammation to, to come into play because that gives signal to our immune system to fight off the invasion. But we don't want what we don't want is when our body reacts to a certain threat when there is no threat. We don't want inflammation to go up when we're just eating a lot of food, right? That doesn't sound right, does it? No. So we don't want to drive our, our body into overdrive at all times when we're just sitting down literally doing nothing and eating. Um, that's what we don't want. So I think there's a lot more research to be done on the ketone side of, of, of things, on mechanism of action, as well as the effect of ketones on respiration on mitochondria on antioxidant defense and also damage um just looking at you know different protocols it it produces different results it just creates this intrigue in in me and a lot of scientists it's like what does this actually do and what does it actually signal you know does it actually signal and and buck institute you know um, dr brianna stubbs and, and john newman they are doing you know tremendous research around um, <clears throat> longevity and signaling uh, of ketones. They're looking at beta-hydroxybutyrylation, which is essentially BHP binding to uh, the DNA and essentially creating signals that affects translation and transcription hmm. and therefore affect the um, lower cascade of the pathways. Hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of theories. I mean, this is part of what makes life so exciting right now is that you know we are on the frontier of 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 so many emerging fields of study and theories and um you know it's hard to parse you know which asteroid to is friendly and, and which one to shoot down but you know I, i've heard about these uncoupling proteins that are triggered by ketones for example that sort of waste calories or waste energy um that provides sort of a trapdoor outside of the mitochondria that essentially don't overwhelm the production apparatus or the electron transport chain to sort of minimize, you know, the production of ROS. So I've heard that theory. Um, I've also heard, you know, that the ketones could be responsible for mitobiogenesis, essentially the creation of, of new mitochondria. Um, yeah. And that seems um, compelling. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add there, but I, I also wanted to just touch briefly before we go on to exogenous ketones because i'm have so many questions there yeah um, one I, thing i want to add though, yeah please. i'll let you finish no this. no no go please ahead. because i'm gonna i'm gonna have one more question before uh, okay <laughs> yeah one thing i want to add as well the uncoupling like you know what we said earlier about mm -hmm. the yin and yang about the equilibrium about homostasis like what i said earlier as well like mitochondria needs some form of bad signal quote unquote um some form of ROS production in order for it to produce antioxidant defense. Right. So these uncouplings, 
to a certain extent is actually needed for an adaptation. So same thing when you work out, right? This is very relatable to a lot of people. When you work out, you're essentially breaking down your muscles and you are you know, building new muscles. You, are, you need the recovery as much as you need the increase in stimulus, increase in progressive load, right? We, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But where is the limit? I think the question is whether or not uncoupling is bad, whether or not ROS is bad. The question is how much ROS is good and when we bypass, when we um, exceed that amount, that's bad. It's a matter of figuring out what that threshold is and I am quite confident that the threshold is different from people to people but also it's different from a healthy population versus a diseased population. Hey, it's Jeff, and I'm excited to tell you about one of our partners here on the podcast. Vivo Barefoot is a natural health lifestyle company on a mission to reconnect people to the natural world and to their innate potential from the ground up, person by person, foot by foot. Created by Galahad and Asher Clark, two cousins from a long line of cobblers, Vivo Barefoot draws upon three simple barefoot design principles, wide, thin, and flexible. These design principles lead to optimal foot health and natural movement. Vivo Barefoot makes their footwear from the best materials nature has to offer, allowing your feet to move, to breathe, and to perform with every step. A million years of engineering also known as evolution, has yielded the perfect blueprint for standing, walking, and running, your feet. When left to their own devices, they can cope with everything from walking and running to jumping and dancing, but cram them in a modern shoe and you cut off their natural potential. I've been wearing Magna Forest boots for hiking the trails here in California. I love the feeling of the connection to the ground and their airiness while still providing me with the basic protections. I also get a ton of comments on the unique and attractive design. What's more, Vivo Barefoot is a certified B Corp. Vivo Barefoot is giving feet the freedom to move as mother nature intended. The best piece of technology ever to be put into a shoe is the human foot. So you can get 15% off your first Vivo Barefoot order at vivobarefoot.com and use the code VIVOCOMMUNE15 at checkout. That's vivobarefoot.com and use the code VIVOCOMMUNE15 at checkout. Reclaim your natural potential. The journey starts with your feet. So one of the areas of discussion that I found so fascinating in your conversation with with Ben, uh, with Ben Bickman, was when you were talking about the relationship um, between Alzheimer's and dementia uh, and energy sources. So one of the things that you guys were pointing to, uh, and and often we hear about Alzheimer's being dubbed as um, type 3 diabetes, right? So there's a, there's some form of energy deficit that's going on. And I think Ben was able to actually study um, tissues, hippocampal tissues um, from 
people who had died who had had Alzheimer's and you could see the insulin resistance and some sort of kind of glucose met metabolism irregular irregularities. Essentially, you know, the brain could not process glucose. There was also high insulin levels. So if the brain couldn't use glucose readily, well, yeah, it would be crying out for ketones, but couldn't get ketones really because ketones can't exist in the presence of high insulin. And so then there was this imperfect storm, I guess you might call it, that um, that was playing a, seemed to play a significant role in um, in Alzheimer's. Uh, it was just a really fascinating conversation. I, I wonder if you had any takeaways there. Yeah, I think that is pretty much how you described it. Um, you know, when the brain can't use glucose, and earlier we talked about when you're in a state of being fasted or when you're in a state of ketogenic diet, um, where you have really low glucose and therefore you are using ketones. But that's because you are directing your body to produce ketones. But in these patients, they are not having a ketogenic diet. They are not fasting and therefore they are not producing their own ketones. But yet the body and the brain are having insulin resistance to resist the signal from insulin to take up glucose. Mm -hmm. So the brain has only got lactate left um, to use. And if you're not even taking in glucose, you're not even producing that much lactate. So that's a problem there. And I think that's where, you know, ketone can essentially answer um, the energy deficit gap that is being caused by the glucose metabolism uh, deficiency there. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think this leads us, you know, right into the conversation on exogenous ketones. Um, because as we discussed, there is an endogenous mechanism, um, but there's a lot of hurdles in the way given our modern culture. Uh, you know, even stress um, can have this whole cascading effect of, of raising cortisol levels, which then raise glucose levels, which is gonna raise insulin, et cetera. So all these different things are contributing um, to, uh, to high insulin levels and, and the absence of ketones, but okay, now enter uh, the possibility of exogenous ketones. So what are exogenous ketones? So for the first time in human history, we're able to produce a situation where our bodies can have both glucose and ketones at the same time. Mm. So even if we have a high glucose meal, we upregulate our insulin, but via exogenous ketones, our bodies can still be in the state of ketosis where we have a high enough level of ketones in order to get the benefit out of it. So what are exogenous ketones, right? Exogenous ketones are essentially ketones that you can consume directly, like how you would consume protein supplement, right? You consume whey protein and it gives you the building blocks that your body needs if it is in the form of convenience. But ketones in this case it's very unique because otherwise we can't consume ketones we there is no food that directly increase ketone levels i mean you can argue that coconut oil you know mct does increase um ketone levels but it's not ketone on its own like you know like proteins right. and since you know i think a decade ago um 
there are a lot of exogenous ketones in the market now. And, and that's where the confusion starts. You know, as, as people know, what you have one good thing. All these people are going to, to, to want to sell the same thing or something of a different derivative where they can patent it and monopolize it. So there are, let me break it down, you know, all the different exogenous ketones that are in the market right now. I think ketone salts have been in the market the longest and I think people are most familiar with. And ketone salts are essentially BHB, so beta-hydroxybutyrate, what we talked about as a ketone body, bound with a salt, either potassium, sodium, magnesium, um, all of that. Ketone salt can raise your blood ketone levels up to 0.7 to 1 millimolar, right? Um, the problem with ketone salt is that you can't increase the dose to increase your blood BHB level because once you increase the dose too much, you'll start to get uh, GI issues and you are increasing your salt load. And then that you have to balance it with your diet and all of that. So that but it is the cheapest, one of the cheapest option of exogenous ketones up there. And then there is MCT we talked about, which is medium chain triglycerides, which is the most ketogenic, you know, um, triglycerides, goes into your liver, gets converted to BHB, but that goes up to about 0.5 millimolar. Hmm. So it doesn't go too high. And, and just for reference, if you are on a normal standard diet, standard Western diet, you're not on ketogenic diet, you're not fasting, your ketone levels should be 0 to 0 0.1 millimolar. And for therapeutic reasons, uh, for a lot of research, they would say at least get above one millimolar. And for performance in endurance exercise and all of that, get above two millimolar. So that's between one to two is what we want, you know, ideally for metabolic health and, and to a certain extent performance. And then we have ketone esters. A lot of people, you know, we HVMN brought the first ketone ester into the market in 2017. And we basically coined the term ketone esters. It's just a fancy name of uh, two molecules being bound together in an ester bond, right? right? <laughs> it's a ketone, BHB, bound with butane diol in an ester bond. But ever since then, people think that this is this magic molecule, <laughs> right? That makes people go you know, into superhuman mode. Um, ever since you know, we brought the first ketone ester, the BHB bound with butane diol into the market. Now there have been a lot of other ketone esters. We've got um, 2C6 bound with butane diol. We've got acetoacetate bound with butane diol. We've got, um, uh, what else? We've got, uh, so essentially anything um, ketone that is bound with butane diol in an ester bond is called a ketone ester. Now, now you've got ketone diester, you've got ketone monoester and all of that. And it does work. It increases your blood BHB up till three to five millimolar and it's dose dependent. So the more you drink, the higher blood BHB will be. And at that point in 2017, we thought, you know, it's a good thing, right? Because, you know, ketone is so good for you. So higher, the better, no? Um, then a lot of studies came out. First of all, people started to feel sick when they have too much. When their blood BHB levels reach five, six, seven, um, they just start to not feel well. Um, and that's how you will feel if you overdose on glucose. Any substrates, your body will start rejecting it because you're just having too much, too quickly. And, and uh, one study came out showing an increase in biorespiratory, um, sorry, cardiorespiratory bio, uh, stress biomarkers because the huge spike in blood BHB also lowers blood pH meaning it increases blood acidity. And when you're working out, you're producing lactic acid, you're increasing blood BHB, you're lowering your, your blood 
pH and increasing acidity, your body is trying to excrete as much carbon dioxide as possible in order to balance that. Mm. So they, these athletes saw an increase in heart rate, increase in breathing rate, all these biomarkers that, that basically shows that they're working out harder without the improvement in performance. They mm. didn't see any improvement in performance. So why would you want to drink something that makes you work harder, but you actually not work harder objectively, but you feel like you're working harder? And these people also have higher rate of perceived exertion. So they, that means that they found that exercise to be harder than they would otherwise. So then that brings us to ketone IQ, which is what HVMN sells. Um, we launched this uh, in 2021, and it was basically due to the fact that ketone ester was one, too expensive. It was 25 grams for about $40. Two, it tastes very bad. Um, it's it tastes very bitter, and I'm not saying that ketone IQ tastes like soda. It doesn't. Um, but it it it's tastes way better. Um, in fact, one of our tasks with the six million dollar contract with the DOD was to improve the flavor of ketone ester, and we worked with Monel, which is a expert you know sensory research center, and they know everything about the taste and improving taste and masking taste. And they couldn't do anything about it. And I presented with results in the Metabolic Health Summit. They essentially tried artificial sweetener, um, natural sweeteners, dairy. All of it, the sweetness actually got masked by the ketone as the bitterness. That's how bad it was. And then the third point is the pharmacokinetics, the you know the biology of ketone as, as I said. It lowers your blood pH. It increases blood acidity so much that you may not get the improvement in performance. And besides, as I said, for therapeutic users, you don't need all the way high. You don't need um, that high of a blood BHP between three to five. Anything above one, they already saw uh, an improvement, especially if you have to drink it daily, multiple times a day. People just can't stomach that. Yeah. And because of the taste they get, a lot of GI issues because they start puking and it just doesn't taste pleasant, especially if you go into uh, an intensive exercise afterwards. Because a lot of these studies are being done for performance or exercise performance and athletes having to drink them. Um, ketone IQ is essentially butane diol. So as I said earlier, all these ketone esters are bound with butane diol. So that is the common denominator. And butane diol is essentially a molecule that is found naturally as well in um, avocado, peppers, coconut, and all of that in a small amount, butanol enters your liver, gets converted into BHB, and that releases slowly into your body. And because your liver is the gatekeeper here, your liver gets signal from the rest of your body saying, you know, how fast you want to release this uh, BHB, which works as a great ceiling because when we did our internal study, we did not see anything higher than 2.5 millimolar, mm. even with a very high dose. Mm. So we know the safety of, of the, the molecule and also it doesn't spike your uh, blood acidity. So the liver serves as almost a regulator to keep almost serum a regulator. levels in that Goldilocks zone. Correct. Yeah. And and that's the, the very um, interesting thing as well because uh, I, th I think we did this as we launched it, me and to the two co-founders of HVMN, Michael Brand and Jeff Wu, 
we did a podcast together um, and we recorded on camera, we drink different doses. So I think one of us drank one dose, two dose, three doses, and all of us had three different baseline because I think Jeff was on a very high ketone level already because he was already fasting. But surprisingly, he had, even though the highest dose, it capped at 2.5. And so, you know, it, it's the, the, so the increase of blood BHB when you're already high on blood BHB, it doesn't increase that much. It was definitely capped around mm. 2 to 2.5. Um, if you're lower, if you are like 0 0.1, it will put you up to like 1.5 or, or more. So that's the beauty of it. As it pertains specifically for high performance, um, would you would there be a scenario where you want to combine, for example, uh, available glucose since it's so readily taken up by muscles with endogenous ketones? So of all the studies that are in performance, uh, they always put glucose in. So it's it's never meant to replace your existing workout strategy. So if you're already taking 60, 70 grams per hour of glucose while you're working out or while you're running or while you're in a race, it's meant to augment that. So when you take ketones, what they have seen is that they saw a glycogen sparing effect where you are sparing your glycogen, you're burning you know, the ketones and tap into your, your fat storage perhaps. And then enable you to run further and longer. Mm. So that's where um, you know ketones really shine when used in conjunction with glucose when it comes to pre-workout, sort of acute setting. In a recovery setting, um, studies have shown when I talked about the leucine-mediated um, mTOR activation for recovery after exercise, these athletes were given car uh, carbs, proteins, and ketones. Same thing with another study on overreaching symptom, uh, cyclists going through Tour de, France, uh, Tour de France training, and they were given ketones with carbs and protein as a standard pre uh, post-recovery um, nutritional strategy, half an hour after exercise and half an hour before bed. Three weeks later, they saw an increase in performance in power output of about 15%. Mm -hmm. And so I, I have a little bottle of the ketone IQ here for, for those yeah. of us who uh, have the uh, watching this on video. Is this denomination the recommended dosage? I mean, as you said, the liver has its own regulatory uh, capabilities, so it'll release it into the bloodstream as it sees fit. But is this more or less the uh, one per day or can you get into dosage a tiny bit? Yeah, that's that's sure. Um so one of that small shot is 10 grams of butanol, and that's our recommended dose. Uh, and we don't recommend more than three doses per day uh, for a normal person. Uh, if you're just using it for metabolic health, three per day is more than enough. Some athletes, they use more because a lot of these studies are using weight match doses. So they use 0 0.3 to 0 0.5 grams per kilograms. So that translates mm. to roughly two to three doses if you're like, you know, 60 to 70 kilogram person um, because they're using it for for exercise and the the nice thing about 
ketone is that because your body does use it quite quickly when you're using it to work out if especially if they measure their blood ketone levels after one hour two hours you can see the curve going up and then going back down really quickly because your body's using up so that's why they're not afraid of of taking more than three doses per day but what we do recommend our uh, customers for the general health population is uh, three per day and uh, one of that is one dose or 10 grams um and yeah mm-hmm. and so you were mentioning that the the ketone esters um which had the the bhb and butane dial sort of bond uh yeah. if you will one of the side effects there was some nausea in some cases do you see any Hey, it's Jeff. And if you're a regular listener to this show, well, you know that I explore a wide variety of topics related to health. And right now I am experimenting with a bunch of different techniques and approaches to optimize my own well-being. And part of this tinkering involves what I put into my body and what I don't. And this is why I love being a member of Thrive Market. They have a vast selection of organic foods, olive and coconut oils, teas and coffees, supplements, and so much more. I just got a Thrive delivery the other day that addresses my morning protocol that includes my favorite greens powder and some MCT oil. And it's delivered right to my door via carbon neutral shipping. So I have a special offer to commune listeners. If you join Thrive Market today at thrivemarket.com slash commune, then you'll get $80 in free groceries, 80 bucks. So like you, I support companies who are mission-based and committed to sustainable business practices. Thrive is a certified B Corp and take it from me, it's not easy to get that certification. I had to do it once. Now, when you join as a member, Thrive also donates a membership to a family in need. This is so important because so many people are living in food deserts right now in which they are unable to access nutritious food. Thrive has donated $4.5 million in healthy groceries. Delivering healthy food to neighborhoods in need directly impacts the chronic disease epidemic that we are facing and that I talk about so much on this show. So... Can your regular grocery store do that? Mm. Well, now it can when you go to thrivemarket.com slash commune. If you join Thrive Market today, you'll get $80 in free groceries. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash commune. side effect with just the the butane dial no um we actually just completed a study at the university of north georgia one of the leading military colleges in the united states we looked at anaerobic exercise and this is the first time ever um anyone has looked at anaerobic exercise and ketones because Mm. we think about ketones we think about fats when we think about fats we think about endurance because that's when we talk about earlier, you want to tap into that big storage of energy versus glucose. And whenever we, th- we talk about anaerobic exercise, which is high intensity exercise, glucose is always king. And I still believe that. But in this study, when they were given glucose and ketones, 
somehow they're able to increase power output, peak power output, average power output, velocity, and decrease fatigue. We just submitted this to um, the Frontiers in Physiology Journal. Uh, it's under review right now. And it's super interesting mm. because, yes, you're still using the glucose for the burst of energy. But for some reason, ketones have certain effect that enables these participants to output more power and feel less fatigued. As to whether it's purely metabolic in terms of substrate utilization or there is some analgesic effect on the brain that makes them feel less painful. Yeah. We don't know yet, but this is what science is about, right? You find one thing out and then you follow up with another research. And if anyone, any researchers out there see our paper when we publish it in a couple of weeks, then hopefully they embark on their journey on proving one, you know, if this is replicable and two, if it is, what is the exact mechanism that is affecting either the muscles or the brain? Mm. Yes. Science always builds on the shoulder of, of prior science, right? Um, Absolutely. Are there any contraindicators that people should be aware of? One thing I would add though, whenever, <clears throat> sorry, whenever you take um, ketone IQ, um, after an hour, you will see a drop in blood uh, glucose. Mm. So in fact, there's a couple of studies in um, Canada, University of British Columbia, Dr. Jonathan Little, he you know, used ketone IQ to show the decrease in blood glucose after eating, which is, you know, really good for people with uh, obesity or diabetes to show the drop in blood glucose. So if you are prone to hypoglycemia, then I would keep um, a continuous glucose monitor handy mm -hmm. or make sure you monitor your own blood glucose after an hour or two hours. And if you're feeling cold and shivery and you know that's like the low glucose feeling have have a little bit of sugar just to keep yourself you know safe but generally it doesn't drop to a point where it's unsafe where people need to go to the hospital or people are like passing out it doesn't get to that point because as, as we talked about earlier your liver is the regulator and and it's pretty good at keeping your body alive um so it's never dangerous enough and even then it's like maybe one in ten people who experience that, who are like really, really high metabolism and always on, on ketogenic diet and always very keto adapted and very low glucose at all times. So you need all of those factors and then you have a high dose of ketone IQ, then you will probably experience that. But in fact, apart from that, um, I don't think there are other, there are any other side effects um, within, within the recommended dose for sure. Yeah. And, and Will exogenous ketones, well, it won't really impact the oxidation of, of, of fat, of adipose tissue, really, because it's, it's not necessarily triggering that whole process of lipolysis and, and triglyceride breakdown. But what, would there be any sense in someone uh, who is already on a ketogenic diet or is an intermittent faster to then supplement additionally with an exogenous ketones? Like what's the relationship there? That's a great question. So a lot of people asked if they are not on ketogenic diet, can they take it? And the answer is yes, obviously. That's basically allowing you to experience the benefit without having to do the diet. But then the other side asks, if I'm on ketogenic diet, if I am already burning fat, why would I take this? Because 
temporarily it may stop lipolysis because it's telling my body that I already have ketones, so I'm not breaking down my own fats for ketones. Mm. That's true. If you are already on ketogenic diet and you are on a good path and you are achieving your goals, then there is no need for this. However, there are people who are on cyclical ketogenic diet. They go in and out of ketogenic diet. They want to be in ketosis and allow their body to really get back into the ketosis, ketotic state, then they use this as an intermittent. But there are also people who have been on ketogenic diet and struggle to raise their blood BHB level or blood ketone levels. Then they also augment it with ketone IQ to, to help them get into that Goldilocks zone. And in terms of study, very interestingly enough, when given exogenous ketones, our body upregulates the enzymes that's needed for keto metabolism. So it, it upregulates the enzyme to convert butyldiol to um, beta-hydroxybutyrate. It en enhances the enzyme that um, changes beta-hydroxybutyrate into acetoacetate, into acetyl-CoA, mm -hmm. and then goes into the Krebs cycle, creates energy. Yeah. So that's, that's just biochemistry. So why does that matter? If you think about it, you're only having 70, one dose of that, it has 70 calories. 70 calories you can burn out after a podcast. You know, like if you're walking for, you know, feel 10, 15 minutes, you might burn those off already, right? So it's a very small amount when it comes to calorie. But the fact that it upregulates these enzymes is actually preparing your body to be more keto adapted afterwards so if you're already on ketogenic diet and you feel like you're not that keto adapted yet this could be a really good way to upregulate these enzymes so that when you finish burning the exogenous ketones your body switches gear to your endogenous ketones and now you have all the mechanism and, and machinery ready to be able to use up your own ketones for better efficiency mm. Mm. so good I have yeah one more question. It's actually just kind of playing out in my brain as I, I think about it because um, I'm trying to uh, kind of unravel the mechanisms here around performance. So um, so I'm an avid tennis player, for example, and uh, you know I'll go out and play someone half my age, which is probably foolish. So I need some therapy around that. But um, you know, in the 90 degree heat, and you know, halfway through, you know, I'll start breathing. Uh, you know, I'll, I'm breathing very hard because my essentially cells want more and more oxygen um, for the second and third phases of cellular respiration. And, you know, then the next day, if I'm, you know, if I get, you know, whipped by a young, you know, 28 year old <laughs> division one player or something, I might wake up a little bit sore because of that uh, O2 oxygen debt you know, my body went into glycolysis more to for energy, the first phase, the anaerobic phase of, of cellular respiration. And there's a byproduct of that is lactic acid, which is can makes you, you know, your muscles feel sore the next day. I assume that if I was supplementing with some exogenous ketones, as I was in that process, I might spare myself of some of that lactic acid next day soreness. Would that be fair to say? That's an interesting theory. Um, but also <laughs> I've, I've think, I think I've interviewed some, some scientists who said lactic acid causing 
causing the soreness is not a thing mm, apparently okay um that's 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 an interesting part they're like you know it's just purely driven by the muscle breakdown um rather than the lactate accumulation because lactate will very quickly be converted back once oxygen is available so when you stop playing and you're already breathing normally and you're at rest lactate gets um converted back into whatever that it needs to convert either pyruvate or whatever um and goes into the respiration so um i don't know how far how you know how far that the truth is uh because i haven't haven't looked into it since i've heard about that but i think certainly in terms of recovery we have anecdotal cases where people take it before and after their workout and the next day they feel more refresh or they feel more um, ready uh, in terms of the state of their body being able to do another set of workouts Mm -hmm. well maybe soon we'll see Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz uh, yeah. pounding some uh, exogenous ketones, some ketone yeah. IQ I mean, before, yeah. before their matches. Uh, we, we're talking to a lot of athletes and like famous marathoner um, Sarah Hall, mm. she's being fueled by ketone IQ. Um, this week, actually, um, one of the, the, the most um, famous uh, marathoner, Don, um, in Arizona, Michael Brand is helping him pace uh, Michael Brands, our CEO, helping him pace for the race as well. Mm. Um, so we have a lot of athletes who are now believing in, in us because not only that we share the science and having scientific integrity and transparency, but we also let them try it. And most of the time, like our VP of growth, Michael Lee, the way he works with these partners is really, really great. I think I really respect the way he says. He's like, I'm not going to give you a script. If you want to do content, you do whatever you want and whatever you feel. And first and foremost, before we even become partners, like you try this product. If you like it, we can move forward. If you don't like it, like there's no no foul, you know, you can have the products because we do believe the subjective feel, it's very powerful and the experience is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays, as I said, there's so many competitors, there's so many exogenous ketones out there that it becomes confusing for, for consumers. It becomes confusing for athletes even. But most athletes already know what is what because that has been in the athlete market for a while. And some competitors was like, oh, you know, um, HVMN is is lying or like ketone, <laughs> ketone dial doesn't work or ketone IQ doesn't work. Ketone IQ is an alcohol. And then at the same time, they are selling ketone ester, which half of which is also butane dial, but then theirs is not alcohol. <laughs> I'm like, the hypocrisy and yeah. the lack of integrity is uh, so apparent. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly appreciate your commitment to the rigorous science and uh, I also find the blog on the website to be incredibly informative and if anyone is seeking just some education in metabolism and uh, and ketosis 101 they can really get a lot of uh, very thorough but also accessible uh, information there so yeah this is just a a fascinating conversation that can you remind our viewers though where they can find you and keep abreast uh, of your work and if they're interested in the product where where they might be able to find it 
Sure. Um, they can find the product um, on in Sprouts um, nationwide, actually. If you go to Sprouts, the first shot is also on us. So if you buy the first shot, you scan the QR code, we'll give you a refund back. You can find us on Amazon. You can find us also on hvmn.com. You can buy it directly from us. Um, if you want to find me, I'm at Latmanso, L-A-T-T-M-A-N-S-O-R on all social media. Also, I am the host of the HVMN podcast that we talked about today. Um, go check it out. And um, I believe you have a code as well that you can share for your audience to um, yeah. to get the discount. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, I highly encourage you to to keep up the work on the podcast. Uh, it's really just uh, fantastic, and it really provides an opportunity for people to go uh, into some significant depth if they're curious about these topics uh, you, you know you curate your guests uh really wonderfully and you conduct your your uh your interviews with a lot of curiosity and um and a lot of stringency so well done and and i hope uh, we can have a, another conversation maybe next time in person yeah of course thank you so much and you know people like you jeff who paved the way and and inspire me to be a better host and better podcaster um so i want to thank you and and your audience as well and i would love to have you if you know you have time to be on hvm and podcast where we can talk about more spirituality and practices and i i, I just love your calmness and your energy and how you just you're just present and i think a lot of us can learn to be that, uh, especially, you know, coming from Asia, you know, I've studied in Europe and in America, what I realized is that things are very hectic. Everyone is out there chasing our dreams and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there's also the forgetfulness of being present and being with ourselves. Like yesterday, you know, work has always, you know, it's, it's fast paced, it's, it's tough, it's stressful. And yesterday I was working out at the gym and my friend just asked me one question and he was like, how are you? I was like, well, it's okay. It's as good as a Monday can go. Right. And he said, he asked me one question he was like, but did you take time for yourself though? And that was so meaningful for mm. me at that point, because I'm like, that's a good reminder. So thank you. He was like, no, I'm also reminding myself that he was like, <laughs> you know, because we are yeah. so good at telling people what they should do when sometimes we don't follow what we preach. Yeah. Well, they say wisdom is taking your own advice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm uh, admittedly a work in progress, but uh, you know, if I have any advice to share with anyone um, in this time where we're just living, you know, in this persuasion economy or the attention economy, however you want to frame it. And every single brand and human and friend and family member is vying for our attention at every possible moment. And, and there's so many different ways at us and pings and dings and Slack and email and text and billboards and other forms of advertising that are, you know, algorithmically contrived. Um, that it's so simple just to go through life being incessantly distracted and never here. Um, and I think, you know, this podcast, if anything, has trained me to be present. And, you know, the, the most precious gift I think that we can give each other 
kind of in this moment is our conscious attention to really provide someone else with your undivided focus. Um, you know, and that comes back, you know, to benefit you, as you say. Um, but I just think the, you know, that presence of presence, um, might be just the kindest and most compassionate thing that we could do right now. So maybe yeah. <laughs> we'll end with that. I'm very yeah. grateful, you know, for you and your attention. Um, same here. Cool. All right. The time flew. Yes, it did. All right. Well, to be continued. And um, I'll, uh, I'll see you in Topanga or up in your neck of the woods in, in San Francisco. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. Lat Mansour. I urge you to check out HBMN, Health Via Modern Nutrition, where he leads research and helps develop products like Ketone IQ. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. And if you're a regular listener, you may have a sense for how much effort we put into this show's creation week over week. And we do our best to keep ads to a minimum. So if you're looking for a way to support our efforts, the best way to do so is subscribe to Commune. You'll access more than 100 courses featuring the world's top authors, doctors, and thought leaders. And you can check it out for free for 14 days, no strings attached, at onecommune.com trial. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly with any questions or suggestions, criticism of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. Lastly, I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jake Love, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Silvana Alcala, Leda Malika, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. Hey, it's Jeff. And when it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder and reach farther and go that extra mile. Well, this relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, InsideTracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance for the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist right there in your pocket. If you're interested in this innovative service, I've got great news for Commune listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash Dr. G. That's insidetracker.com forward slash 
D-R-G.